Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. Hello everybody, welcome back to Whiskey for the Ages. I'm your host, Brian Dawson, and tonight Hannah's here. Hello. And Alora's there. Hi. Thank you so much for listening in. Tonight uh, we're going to wind things down a bit and enjoy a slow pour. Quite some time ago, Hannah started writing a series called A Slow Pour, where we reflected on things. Things like the empty bottle. Yeah, just a lot of thoughts that would come into my head as I'd be enjoying a whiskey or things that would get contemplative. So the empty bottle was one. Having an opinion about a bottle in one setting and then developing a different opinion for that same bottle in a different setting. Uh, I know when COVID first hit, I wrote something then about having a pour and trying to slow down. It's a nice little segment that I've been able to do that's allowed me to be a bit more writer-ish. I can, I can <laughs> exercise my prose a little bit. Tonight, we're going to reflect on 30 bourbons in 30 days. So we just came out of September, and that's National Bourbon Heritage Month, or at least Bourbon Heritage Month. For a number of years, uh, something has been going on called 30 bourbons in 30 days, a challenge. This was my third year of doing it. But before we get started, girls, what did you pour tonight? I poured the Eagle Rare 10 year. Oh, nice. Nice. That one's always I a good go to. Oh, you opened yeah, I it. Opened new, I opened the new bottle. I've been trying to cycle them out, so like I don't want to rely too much on like 1920 Old Forester or Larceny. I'm like, well, no, I want to open up a new one and yeah. How many do you have open now? Uh, at least four. Five. Uh, oh, five. Nice. Five. Well, nice. good for you. Five. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. And I've got Elijah Craig Barrel Proof A123. So this would be the first batch of the barrel proofs of this year coming out of the Elijah line. During the 30 Bourbons 30 Days I didn't participate in the same way that dad did. There would be, I think probably at least two thirds of the time though, I was drinking whatever you were drinking, which was always a new bottle. This was one of the ones that I did not drink during that time. So I'm, I'm, I'm having some of it tonight. I poured some Booker's and specifically Ronnie's batch, which was the first batch of 2022. It is a phenomenal bourbon. 
quite frankly, my favorite. Of all time or of, of the all bookers? Time. Of all time. Wow. Oh. Yeah. I dug Hot in again. Fire. Yep. I love it. Let's let's talk about this uh, 30 bourbons in 30 days. First, let me give you a little backstory. You guys all know that I love the history. September is National Bourbon Heritage Month. Not officially, but it is in Kentucky. For decades, Kentucky citizens have been enjoying bourbon festivals every September. So back in 2007, Kentucky Senator Jim Bunning introduced a simple resolution to the 110th Congress. <laughs> so it starts out, Now therefore, the Senate designates September 2007 as National Bourbon Heritage Month. It recognizes bourbon as America's native spirit and reinforces its heritage and tradition in its place in the history of the United States. Thirdly, it recognizes the contributions of the Commonwealth of Kentucky to the culture of the United States. So the intent was to take the bourbon celebrations national and make them official. Believe it or not, 110th Congress passed the resolution with unanimous consent. Probably one of the only times unanimous has been used in uh, conjunction with Congress, yeah. but... Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, at least to some, as a simple resolution, the decision was not law. And it was non-binding, so the legislation was never renewed. However, the Commonwealth of Kentucky continues to celebrate Bourbon Heritage Month every September. Therefore, many of us bourbon aficionados celebrate on our own. So enter the 30 bourbons in 30 days challenge. Near as I can tell, I did some research on this. Back in 2014, Bourbon and Banter, a bourbon website and platform, issued the first 30 bourbons in 30 days challenge. They've been doing it every year since. The rules are quite simple. No rise, scotches, or other whiskeys. Only bourbons are acceptable in the challenge. What about rye bourbon? Rye well, yeah, bourbons are perfectly fine. As long as it's got 51% corn in it, it's a bourbon. You're supposed to enjoy a different bourbon every day. No duplicates. 30 different bourbons in the 30 days. Unique bourbon iterations are okay, such as Booker's 2202 and Booker's 2302, or Elijah Craig, like Hannah's drinking tonight, the A123, or a, a B523. Yeah. That's okay. Last year we did store picks. Actually, they were state picks, but they were different picks that were not available to just everybody. Open your bunker, reach for a Dusty, select bourbons at random, or develop a structured plan. It doesn't matter. And you make the challenge your own. Keep track and share what your 30 bourbons are and daily exploits on uh, social media. Or have someone else choose for you. Oh, there's a great <laughs> that's idea. That's an idea. Maybe that's what we'll do next that's year. That's what idea. happened with me. That's what happened. Dad would come <clears throat> out with a bourbon. I'd be like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> This is what I'm drinking tonight. 2023, this past year, would be my third year, but this year I added a twist. 
Some of you may have, may have noticed on our website, we hadn't posted very many reviews this year. I decided that I was going to review 30 bourbons in 30 days. It was an effort to try to get caught up with all of the releases that have happened and the catch up with some of the backlog that we have in our bunker that we've been meaning to review. Dad was the only one to actually <laughs> yeah. take that initiative by the horns and, and go with it though. Admittedly, when I had heard that Dad was doing this, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts because <laughs> I just didn't believe that this could be done. <laughs> Especially with Dad because when the three of us are sitting collectively in a room and reviewing, I think we've said before on other shows, we don't really talk about what we're drinking until we've come to our full conclusion at the end. I will almost always finish first. I can get a review done in an hour, hour and a half. Alora's usually right behind me by a few minutes and then dear old dad here will take, you know, two hours plus to get one in. And we'll be sitting there kind of twiddling our thumbs and doing whatever else. So the thought of him doing 30 reviews in 30 days, knowing how long each review takes for him was kind of humorous to Alora and I. <laughs> I. I think you said I was a fool. I think I, I think I did. I, I, I did it. I, 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 I think as soon as he pitched the idea to me, I, my exact words were, you fool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, the, and then she said something like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, Laura, you didn't do it this year. You had uh, much uh, more important things going on with school, but uh, you did participate and, uh, last year. I did. You know, I'm going to sound like I'm much more experienced than I probably am, but there weren't as many hard things as that that I've ever had to do in my <laughs> And we'll get into that. Like, I mean, I, I, went through, I went through undergrad pretty much all through COVID. Like, all of my college years <laughs> fall under the COVID umbrella. <laughs> the perfect 30 days was harder than that. <laughs> I, was so, I got so sick of it. Every single glass of bourbon, I was like, oh my God. And Dad and him would be like, you don't have to do this. You know, you don't have to. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do this. Even though it was like day 15, where I was like, I could have probably, you know, used the excuse of, okay, well, I haven't gotten through as many days but no i'm stubborn i'm i'm incredibly stubborn so i was like no i'm gonna do it and i'm gonna hate it but i'm gonna do it yeah and we'll go more into that as we get in so this year you know people might ask well how did you come up with 30 that you haven't done and those of you who know how i do reviews i always review fresh cracks i don't review something that's been open for a while so consequently, we had these 30 bourbons that I'd never had before, and some of them were very good. Somebody might say, well, how the heck did you keep that in your bunker for so long? Well, we, we did. didn't know. That's, that's what it is. I mean, admitting that they're all fresh cracks means that, yes, we did have 30, and I'll tell you, you know, a little secret between us, we, have, we had more than 30 <laughs> unopened bottles, well, unopened, true. unique bottles yes. in our bunker. Secret. 
<laughs> well, it's kind of a secret. So I'm not going to go yeah. into the individual ones that we drank. We'll talk about uh, some some surprises as we get get into it. But what I did for the first 10 days is I had random bourbons. They were not any specific uh, distillery or any specific type. There was everything from Michter's Toasted Barrel to Old Tub mm -hmm. in those first, uh, first 10 days. And then I went into an Elijah Craig Heaven Hill Week where I did uh, five different uh, Elijah Craig barrel proofs and uh, finished with a Heaven Hill bottled in bond. I, I also had an Elijah Craig 18-year oh, snuck yes. in there. Oh, yes. And then uh, we did a wheat week where everything I drank was wheat. There was a Weller in there, and there was... Uh, I actually threw a, a Lux Row four grain in there. That was kind of an interesting one. And then the last week, to my delight, I finished Booker's Week. And the very first one of Booker's Week, I opened Ronnie's batch, and I, and I started tasting it, and I thought, wait a minute. I've reviewed this one. That's not how that <laughs> happened. That is not how that happened. If any of you guys have been seeing the posts on social media, I don't know if Dad's been putting them in the reviews themselves, but there's that chalkboard that has all of the nice handwriting on it. That's me. That's my <laughs> handwriting. That's my Hannah work. Has, Hannah has the best handwriting out of all of us. Mine looks so, like every I'm night with the doctor's handwriting. So every <laughs> night I would be writing out the basic stats and the name and the day count and as I was writing that one out I'm like Ronnie's batch oh I know Ronnie's batch I'm familiar with Ronnie Ronnie and I have met in, in bourbon form yeah. and you know I dug through our reviews and sure enough there it was so I told him hey guess what I, I confess I did not do 30 reviews in 30 days Although I looked at my Ronnie's batch and as I was drinking it and enjoying it yeah, instead of the review. Yeah, still opened it, still yeah, had it. I still opened a brand new one and, and I had it. I still think that that was the best batch or best batch that I've had from, from Booker's for sure. So with my selections made and my task was set, Hannah, you know, like she said, she enjoyed many of the bourbons I was opening. Uh, Laura's off at graduate school, and I didn't send her anything, so she had to fend for herself. <laughs> we had some challenges. I did not realize how much time it takes to take pictures and put things up on social media. And remember, he didn't even do the art for that chalkboard. She was doing the chalkboard. We'd take pictures of it. I'd take pictures of the individual glasses I would have. I would crop them and put them up for, for the review form and then I would post to our Facebook pages and our groups and on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn and so I was posting them in the various different whiskey groups on LinkedIn. And then at the same time I would post, somebody would, would comment. So I would have to comment back. And I'm not even into the review yet. And most times I wasn't starting before 8.30 at night so it might be 9, 9.30 before I even was taking my first nose. <laughs> <laughs> that took a lot longer than I thought. And then as Hannah said, it takes me roughly two and a half hours or two hours plus to do a review. I have a wheel that I follow, our whiskey wheel, and I go around that wheel and I, 
I smell and sniff and whatever. And then, and then I uh, go around and I taste and then I put in what I think it looks like and and what have you. And, and then I have everything in rough draft form. I have to formulate it into some type of prose. It might take me all of the next day to create the actual review. Fortunately, I was not posting it every day. I I was posting seven at a time at the end of the week. So other things so per day. Yeah, yeah. I was basically doing all the work one day behind. I was doing the the actual reviewing. Oh, okay. I was doing the actual reviewing the night of, and then transposing my results onto paper. The dedication. I mean. <laughs> For me, yes, it doesn't take as long for me to do a bourbon review because I don't have, I rarely will look at the wheel, to be honest, because I'm like, no, let, let's just see what kinds of flavors I got, and then I'll put them in. And while the thought of doing that for 30 days is fun, like, I, I actually really enjoy doing bourbon reviews. I just... I have such a short attention span, <laughs> so it's kind of like a, oh no, I have to do this. It, it would turn into a task. It wouldn't turn into something that I'd look forward to, which unfortunately, that happens so frequently with me. Things just turn into tasks. Yeah, so. and I, I was kind of the same way with this with this approach. I know I could have done it. I know that... I would have been able to be quick enough to turn it around because unlike dad where he's writing the pros of it the next day but already has all of the hard figures and results in, I would actually put the whole thing together as I'm doing the review. The pros is coming out, the images are coming out, the headings, the colors of the fonts, the size of the fonts, all of that is happening in conjunction with me doing the review. So I knew that I could do it, but for me, I put such a pressure, so much of a weight, I suppose, on being able to really, really enjoy everything that I'm, that I'm drinking and give each review its own moment. And I was worried for myself that by day 20, by day 20, you know, maybe even day 15, that I would be also looking at it potentially as a chore, and those later bourbons would not get the best of me that I could offer in a review. And that's fair. That's very fair. So That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So here's my observations to that end. Six to eight days in, I started getting nasal fatigue. Now, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I would put my nose in, in the Glencairn, and I would draw, and the aromas would be the same as the night before. Or the, the aromas would be dull. Or they would be very difficult to discern. I had to be really careful not to lump aromas or pick what I thought I was smelling. That made the review process even take longer to where I had to really think about what am I smelling here? And those first six to eight days, they were fine. But then long in day seven, day eight, day nine, I'm starting to say, what is it I'm, I'm doing here? Everything smelled like vegetables, like, <laughs> like fermented vegetables. So how did you get 
around that for day 10 and on. What I had to do was I started drinking a lot of water. Not necessarily during the review, but I had to flush myself of whatever was inside of me. It's a good point. You said day 10. Well, day 10 was the start, or day 11 actually, was the start of Heaven Hill week. Mm. And I jumped in you know, with both feet with Heaven Hill with the Elijah Craig products. I mean, boom, I'm sitting at 120 plus proof and I had to wake up and I had to wake up right now. Right. By then, the nasal fatigue I wasn't having a problem with. I was getting palate fatigue to where those five days of Elijah Craig barrel proofs, essentially every time I was doing it, it was just hot. And it was hard to really pick out the flavors. So I had to slow down again. I could get the nasal things just fine, but I began to notice some things. I know there's a lot of people who love Elijah Craig barrel proofs. I'm one of them. Yeah, this this family, you and I in particular, yeah. we like high proof bourbons. You're drinking one tonight. I'm having one tonight, the one that I didn't have. This is yeah. the only one out of Elijah Craig week that right. I didn't have with you. Frankly, they're all the same. Now, I don't mean that in that they're, every one is, tastes exactly the same. I mean that the nose, the palate, all have similarities. Some the palate is more, some the nose is more, some finish different, some have more oak, some have more sweet, but for the most part, they were pretty much the same. The balance is where it differed. And one could expect a result like that. Like, I mean, for me, if you're doing, if you have a business for years and 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 years on end, and something is working for you all throughout those years, there wouldn't be much to change. Well, this brings up, you know, we talked about this last season with this distillery in particular, Heaven Hill. Do you think what you were experiencing during Elijah Craig week, and I'm asking this with my own answer in mind, but do you think, Dad, as you were doing this during Elijah Craig week, that what you were experiencing was the Heaven Hill funk, or was it something unique to that? It's absolutely the Heaven Hill funk. I was getting it for, out of every single, every single Heaven Hill product had similarities that, and I say every single one, I finished the five, and then the next day I had the uh, Elijah Craig 18 year. It had that same mm. flavors, nose, and the same finishes. It was certainly less proof, it was 90 proof. Right on through the Heaven Hill bottled and bond I had at the end, they all had similar traits. Into the Larcenies as well? Into the Larcenies the following week as well. Interesting. For me, the Elijah Craigs were across the board. Now, scoring, people who know me tend to think I score a little high. That's okay. Gosh, that they think you score high. I can't imagine yeah. the people yeah. knocking on my door. Because I, I know I score high. I know when I get critical, I get probably a little mean. <laughs> Two of them, A122 and B523, I scored a 92. I liked them. But the B522, 
I gave an 86. So that's a fairly wide range for me. Mm -hmm. They're all good. I, I don't want to dis disparage them. But for me, that's the way they panned out. Yeah. And if you want to see how exactly the rating gets broken down between Dad and I, we don't have one for Alora right now, but for Dad and I, we have a breakdown uh, in one of our SIP articles where we say how we review things and where our numbers are actually coming from. That can always be a reference to you guys. If we're rating something a high B, a low A, what that translates to in your own ratings. And, and every review we do, there's a link to that rating yep, chart. Exactly. So, so you can see, okay, where's this guy coming up with these numbers? As Hannah asked about larcenies, the larceny barrel proofs I did the next week during leader week. Mm. Larcenies have similar traits to the Elijah Craig's, even though the mash bills are different. However, I only did three because I, I reviewed the others. I did C922, B523, and A123. A123 was the best. Again, a 92. The C922, I gave an 89. So there was less range for those particular ones. I liked the Larcenies better than the Elijah Craig's. That fooled me. Really? That, that really fooled me because I was fully anticipating liking the Elijah Craig's better. It didn't work out that way. See, and I, I knew going into it that if I had been reviewing along with you, that I probably would have picked the Larcenies over the Elijah's just because that factors into a bit of a value discussion. The Elijah's are getting up there in price. The Larcenies, I think, are a little bit cheaper. Not much anymore. They used to be much cheaper yeah. than what they are now. Here in Idaho... Larceny the, barrel proofs, Alora. Yeah. She's giving me big eyes over the camera. I'm not talking about the small batch. I'm talking about the barrel proofs. I should have specified. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I got a special place in my heart for the larcenies. Yep, yeah. I know. So, but I'm a I, college I, student. I am poor. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I knew that I was going to like the larceny barrel proofs yeah. more. When they started out, we were right there picking them up, yeah. curious to see what was going on, and all three of us completely blown away by the quality of that product. Yes. And we've been in love with it ever since. Yep. Larceny barrel proofs are kind of a darling of the eye. Of special note, I've mentioned a couple of times, Hannah it is too, that Elijah Craig 18, it's a great bourbon. Well, maybe I'm not going to say great. <laughs> it's a good, solid bourbon. But, as Hannah said, you now get into a value proposition. I was anticipating loving this bourbon. The anticipation was better than the bourbon itself. Yeah. When I drank it... Because yeah. it's 18 years old, you know? Yeah. We've got one of the rare, highly acclaimed, everybody wants one, 18-year-old Elijah Craig's. Like, this is a big deal. This is a big bourbon. I was looking forward to it. And when I, when I drank it, I kept thinking, is this all there is? I expected tons of oak. I got oak, but I expected a little bit of bourbon sugars. I expected a, a hint more of spice, and I just wasn't getting it where I thought it should be, especially out of something that is acclaimed as 
as much as the Elijah 18 year old. So now, what, did, what did you rate it? Though? I gave it an 89. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, high B, very high B. See, now if I had rated this one, you know, for everything that you're saying, I was having this one with him. I was giving my thoughts as they were as they were coming out this month was a little bit different for us I didn't hold back my thoughts as much because I wasn't writing a review and it was not a collaborative effort by any means because there were many times where we vehemently disagreed with each other but it was interesting to bounce perspectives off of each other for this and the Elijah 18 year I'm not mad I'm disappointed. It's one of those kinds of sayings where, ooh, that hurts even more. I wish she was actually mad. And maybe I am a little bit, but overall, I was disappointed. This, Elijah Craig has been one of the foundations of not only mine, but I think probably many people. Their bourbon journey starts somewhere around Elijah Craig. It comes into the works very early because the small batch is such an affordable product and it's on every shelf. It's so accessible. But I came into this, we have two bottles of it. We'd bought each of them at different price tags, different years. So one year, I think we got it for. 120 ish 129-ish and then the one after that we got it for 150. I don't mind dropping a hundred dollars plus on a product I know I'm going to like. I do it frankly pretty frequently. I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. It wasn't so much wow I, I'm really 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 putting myself out there for this bottle but at the same time if I'm going to drop a price tag like that I'm going to come into it with a expectation I know this is an 18 year old it has all of the hallmarks of age or it's supposed to I want the price tag to reflect what's in the bottle and I've said this before in reviews and articles probably on the podcast I struggle with paying certain prices for bourbon because I, I just I don't know how you can make a bourbon worth that much money because at some point you're buying a name you're buying rarity all the same I love Elijah Craig I was ready for this 18 years old let's go I had it and disappointed 90 proof I wasn't expecting it to come out as hot as the barrel proofs at 90 proof though we've got to keep in mind there's a lot of bourbons that come in at 90 proof yes the 90 proof is a very popular proof for a lot of bourbons it's easy to do you can maximize so much of your product because you're watering some of it down as it comes out of the cask you're having to do a little bit of comparison with under 90 proof with other 90 proofs. Alora's having yeah, Eagle yeah, Rare yeah. right now, which is another 90 proof. Eagle yeah. Rare is better than Elijah Craig 18 year full stop. Full stop. Okay. Eagle okay. Rare is better than Elijah Craig 18 yeah. year old yeah. full stop. Complexity Eagle Rare. Price wow. Eagle Rare. Fruit Korean. profile which I really love. Eagle Rare. I was really let down by that one. 
really let down. I'm still upset. You can hear me. You can hear it in my yep. voice right now. I'm still upset about it. And I didn't want to be because I went into it with an expectation. For me, I I kind of am with the the price of the bourbon because for me, I've got some like serious financial anxiety. So <laughs> I'm like, well, you're in college. Uh, uh, I mean, that's normal. That's normal for people. But for me, if I can get a bourbon for like fifty dollars, ouch on my bank account. That is an ouch on my bank account and I like it and it's worth it I'll go for it again it's like the old Forester stuff mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. for us I mean old Forester consistent I haven't had a bad old Forester I don't think I haven't had a bad old Forester even the but 100 the yeah su- the, the orange signature. label <laughs> yeah a surprising yeah. bottle 25 bucks wow yeah, and it's it's not the most expensive bourbon in the world. It's certainly not for like a or seventy dollar bottle bourbon. Mr. I'm like, just is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program that you're working. You real like you have to work harder. Their creators to get me get me and a bunch of college students to want to buy something <laughs> like that. And and I get that. Mm-hmm. Han and I even said it while we're while we're commiserating with the end of the bottle. I'm happy to have the bottle. Yeah. But at this price point, I won't look to replace it. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. it's it's just frankly for me not worth the buck. Yeah. I think first bottles of anything are always worth the most. Uh, but that's a whole other topic yeah. that we could get into yeah. on another episode. But so then I rolled into Booker's Week. Mm-hmm. Booker's Week did not disappoint. Either of us. It, I, that, I had every single yeah. one. <laughs> six, six Bookers, ranging from 2021-01 Ronnie's Batch, right on through 2023-02. To me, they were all great bottles. Agreed. I, I scored Ronnie's Batch, as I mentioned earlier, 95. It's the best score I've ever given any bourbon I've ever done. The lowest batch, I had two of them, Lumberyard Batch and Charlie's Batch, I gave 90s. All the rest were above 90. And Lumberyard was my personal favorite. I mean, as I'm thinking about it even now, the Lumberyard, as I was drinking, it was like visiting an old friend and you just pick up right where you left off. Lumberyard was just that happy, warm, homey, perfect moment where everything is lined up. I loved that batch. I loved Pinky's batch. And those two were your lowest ratings out of the week. And those would have been my highest. Booker's week was great. All of them had better balance. There were more fruits. There were more spices. There was more sweets. There was more wood. They, They just, all, all in all, they were just better. And they each had their own signature. Yes flavors i i don't think you could really say they were all the same in this regard they all had nuts yeah but that's a that is a jim beam of jim beam funk exactly within what i did there were some hidden gems Mm -hmm. the very first day i started with four roses small back select 
I didn't know what to expect from that. I like Four Roses product, but that was a great bourbon. So if you guys can find uh, a Four Roses small batch select out there, go for it. Bottle price about 60 bucks thereabouts, plus or minus. Bell Bead Reserve Cask Strength. That's going to be a tough one to find. I don't know if the distillery is even making it anymore. But uh, if you can, if you see one on the shelf, go for it. That one is a really, really good one. And then there was a surprise. And this we're going to kind of get into some, uh, <laughs> some biases. Prior to doing this 30 bourbons in 30 days, Hannah and I participated in our, in our local whiskey group's summer taste-off, where we blindly drank 24 whiskeys. whiskeys. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily bourbons. We did not know what we were drinking. And you can hear a little bit more about that. We have an episode a podcast uh, a, about it. Yeah. A, from our last season where we actually talked to two of the people uh, who helped created that particular project and who make it happen year after year exactly so go check that out if you don't really know what we're talking and that, about and that's fun but here we're drinking a one ounce sample mm -hmm. what we're supposed to do is we have to try to guess its proof its type whether it's a bourbon whether it's a rye bourbon a weeded bourbon whether it's an american whiskey and then we have to try to guess what bottle it is and if i it, did not try no. I did not even bother to try. Nah. <laughs> and then if it's available, if, if it has an age statement or a distillery, we would try to do that as well. I started Wheat Week with Horse Soldier Signature Small Batch. During the taste-off, it scored very poorly, not only with me, but with our entire group. I think the group score was 5.23 or 5.73 out of 10. I scored it a 6 out of 10. I don't remember what I scored. Yeah. I was participating with this, but I wasn't keeping yeah. track like that. The, tr the, the trouble was I didn't even guess it was a weeded bourbon when I when I was doing the, the taste off. I got reasonably close on the proof. I think I said it was 92 proof and, and it, it's a an, an 95. When I drank it during the review process, I loved it. I gave it a 90. I began to wonder, if I know what something is, do I have knowledge bias? Or if I don't know what it is, do I not give it a score because I just don't know what it is? And that certainly would come back to kind of what our Elijah Craig 18-year disappointment, or at least mine, if I hadn't known that that's what I was drinking, would my opinions yeah. of it be different? So that right away began to make me think, maybe I need to do a review sometime of something that I've never had before without knowing what it is. Without I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree that knowledge bias is a thing with bourbon. I mean, Dad, you won't say yes to a Jack Daniel <laughs> without knowing that it is I think that there were some bourbons in that list. I, correct me if I'm wrong. There were some bourbons in that list that fell under that realm. That wild, wild turkey. <laughs> wild yeah. turkey rare wild, breed. Wild Every turkey time. gets me. I don't, if I know what it is, I don't like it. If I don't know what it is, I love it. Yeah, 
yeah. knowledge bias. Mm. Or confirmation bias, yeah. as it's called in the scientific community. Confirmation Confirmation bias. bias. You hear what it is, and then you create an opinion that's going to confirm what you believe you know about what you're drinking. Or so, what you know you like. A musician who didn't really pay attention in <laughs> What is it called? Confirmation. Confirmation bias. 30 reviews in 30 days, I had confirmation bias because I knew the category, I knew the source, I knew the mash bill, I knew the char, I knew the barrel entry proof, I knew the age, and frankly, I knew the price. With knowledge of all of those things, my mind goes to work with that data already in there. And you try to limit that. I, I don't. I, I exacerbate a lot of those things in my reviews. But, but you, you do yeah. your best to try yeah. to stay neutral on all of those things. And then on top of that, when I'm doing a review, I'm reviewing with three to four ounces over two hours. Whereas the taste off, I had a one ounce sample mm -hmm. that I drank relatively quickly. I have a question. Yeah. If you guys had the opportunity, or if us three had the opportunity to have like an unknown sample of a bourbon, like, you know, something in that competition, would you guys be open to just reviewing it without even knowing what it was? Like, ignore all the category stuff. Ignore it and just do the nose, the taste, the finish, and then afterwards, you can peel away the information and then boom and then you can have a you can have a section where you're like oh wow i didn't know that this was a jack daniels um apparently i like this product yeah. or something like that we we were kind of talking about doing something like that and i think it'd be a lot of fun i think that if we were to do it we'd obviously want to have you here um so that all three of us could do it and maybe each of us could pick a bottle pour it secretly and give it to someone else do blind reviews and say yeah. review it and we yeah. each get one that we don't know what we're drinking we don't know what we're what we're reviewing and we just go for it i think that'd be interesting yeah. it'd be an interesting that would test. be a lot of fun i i like unpredictability actually <laughs> I, I actually really, really like doing that. It's kind of like when I'm playing a piece, I'll have an idea in my head about what that piece should sound like, but at the end, when I'm performing it, it's nothing like how I pictured it. It's nothing like how I pictured it. So it's it's fun to go through that journey to figure out what that finished product is. That's something we're going to have to definitely put on the on the docket maybe that could be something that we even do and explore further in a different 30 bourbons 30 days well that segues into this will i do 30 bourbons in 30 days next year <laughs> probably but i assure everybody i am not doing 30 reviews <laughs> he learned he, he learned his lesson it's too many it's too many <laughs> but yeah. that could be something that would be that would be pretty fun. Yeah. You know, we each present something different to each other. Okay, what do you, not necessarily what do you think you're drinking, because we already do yeah. that with our taste off yeah. during yeah. The, the advent calendar and the summer advent just calendar. Do blind, but quick, just blind, blind do, reviews. Do you like it, yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So that's our reflection 
Our reflection, 30 bourbons in 30 days. Reviews or no? What did we drink? <laughs> we'll have to see what 2024 brings. I will say that this Elijah Craig A123, being the first time I've had it now, it's a pretty good one. But yeah. I, but I, now I'm. You kinda, know what you're drinking. I know what I'm drinking, and I haven't had a whole bunch of Elijah Craig in a week. There's that too. Let's jump into uh, this fortnight in whiskey. We'll talk about a couple of news stories that I have pulled out uh, here in the last couple of weeks. The first one has been intriguing me for a while. The road ahead for American single malt. So we just came off of a discussion of bourbon. I'm switching gears entirely. Single malt American mm -hmm. whiskeys. They're pretty big. They are getting really large. Uh, Hard to ignore. Anywhere from Vermont's Lost Lantern to Arizona's Whiskey Del Blanc, Oregon's Western Whiskey, Texas has some Balcones, Indiana Old Pepper Single Malt. That happens to be one of this family's favorites. I mean, we've always uh, got a ball of that. Alora, you and Dad really like that one each time we've had it. And every time I pour... Yes! I love it! <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love it! I love it so much! Yeah. I want it. It's hard to find. And then, of Dang course, it. out here in the Northwest, we've got uh, Colorado's Stranahan's. It's a, it's a quite a favorite out here. People define themselves as bourbon fans or Canadian whiskey fans or rye fans or scotch fans. American single malts appeal to many people. So much so that American single malt is being talked about everywhere. So, back in 2016, a group of producers got together, the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. They got together, there were 70 plus distilleries that got together to develop a set of standards for a new category of U.S. made single malt whiskeys. Now obviously, scotch has to be made in Scotland, Canadian whiskeys could be only made in Canada and so on. The American single malt folks want a special designation. So they went to the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB, and they said, hey, we need to have you define what this is so that we as an entity have a category of whiskey that is our own. The American single malt whiskey is now very close to being defined. And I say very close. It's expected the uh, TTB is going to publish this by the end of the year. American single malt whiskey must be distilled entirely at one U.S. distillery. That'd be the single malt feature. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. It must be mashed, distilled, and aged within the United States. The American part of American yep. single malt yep. whiskey also makes sense. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> this, I'm following, I'm following. It must be sourced from a fermented mash of 100% malted barley. Gotcha. It must be distilled at 160 proof or less. Quite frankly, same as bourbon, or mm -hmm. same as rye. <clears throat> and it must be stored in oak barrels not to exceed 700 liters. Now here's the difference. 
the barrels may be previously used mm. or they can be new. So that kind of borrows off of the scotch idea where you can have a special finish, put it in a sherry, sherry cask, that's or one's a really popular. Cask or or, whatever. Mm, exactly. In addition, allowable coloring, flavoring, and blending materials could be permitted. Which is unlike bourbon. Which is definitely unlike bourbon. Now there are some people out there that are saying, hey, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Conversely, there are other people that are saying, yeah, you can do that, but it needs to be clearly labeled on the bottle. The official designation is expected by the end of this year. That means that they'll have to carve out spaces in our liquor stores for a special category of American whiskey. Being a ex-employee of our liquor division, I can practically hear the groans of the fellow employees going, that means a reset to the shelves. <laughs> no! <laughs> Those were always so exhausting and so... and <laughs> They take a lot of time. <laughs> so it's interesting that most of the distilleries that are doing this are craft distilleries. They're not the big boys, although some of the majors are stepping in. Jim Beam has a product that they're putting out there. Jack Daniels has a product that they're putting mm. out there. They're slower to come online, whereas the craft distilleries are jumping in. And it's expected that premium product is going to drive growth. It's going to be value rather than volume. This is actually being driven by millennials and the Gen Z consumers. See, and I can really understand that. I mean, there, there's... We see it with beer all the time. We yeah. love having beer and wine, quite yeah. frankly, but, but definitely beer. I'm more of a beer drinker than a wine drinker at this time. There are so many local breweries that want to focus on where their water comes from, want to focus on their stories, want to focus on this and that. And craft distilleries, craft breweries, craft wineries... That's what millennials and Gen Zers, I think, are really all about. We like the story. We like knowing where something really came from. There's that grassroots element. There's something very unique and homey and original about it. I can see why it'd be our generations that would be gravitating to that. And it makes me wonder, the town that I'm living in right now has a bunch of beer distilleries. I mean, they advertise breweries, beer mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like every restaurant that you go to, there's beer. They advertise on their signs saying, we brew our own beer. So I wonder if that's another topic. Yeah, it very well could be. Yeah, and you're in a college town, so it kind of makes sense that all of the restaurants would be appealing to that demographic. Mm -hmm. So my second story, Ross and Squibb debuts Remus High Rye Bourbon. I want it. Okay. Now, <laughs> in fact, it's called Remus Highest Rye. That's its official name. Ross and Squibb Distillery, Luxco, based in Indiana, they've been producing bourbon since 1947. The combination of the two historic distilleries in Lawrenceburg... Rossville and WP Squibb have now combined and they're known as Ross and Squibb. Remus Highest Rye is aged for six years. It is bourbon. 
It has a mash bill of 51% corn, 39% rye, and the third ingredient, 10% malted rye. Not barley, malted rye. So if you do the math, 51% corn, 49% rye. Okay, okay. That tells me right right off the bat, it's going to be spicy. And I want it. I want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Anna was right. Hannah I was love rye, right. yeah. and the standard Remus bourbon, 94 proof that you can get off the shelf. If you haven't had that yet, I'm telling you right now, Run. you're sleeping on it. Yeah. Go get that. It is so good. It is a complex version of Elijah Craig small batch. That's what I would tell everybody over at the store. Excellent, excellent product. Yep. The cask strength is even better. Fifty-four point five percent ABV, one hundred and nine proof. I want it. And not bad at all. Fifty-five bucks. I want it. All of this is like, I'm yeah. dialed in. Aromas are said to be, and again, this is from the distiller, so Hannah likes to say, keep that in a grain of salt. Aromas are sweet, rich fruit and maple, a palette of robust candied fruit with a lingering spicy cinnamon and saddle leather finish. It just sounds wonderful. It just does. Although saddle leather. saddle leather finish, that's what Earthy. I smell All those right. because I worked in a store with a bunch of saddles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. I know precisely what that smells like. We're obviously fans of, of Remus. So we hope to secure a bottle so we can get a review out to everybody soon. And my last story, this one a little bit longer. Will an open bottle of fine bourbon ever go bad? Ooh, what a oh. question. I get Okay, so before you go into the story, yes or no? General opinions, go. Alora, what do you think? Will it go bad? I actually don't think it would. I don't think it's similar to wine in that once you open it, wine just has a short lifespan. Mm. I feel like the environment can affect the bourbon. I mean... I don't know for certain, but let's say I take one of my open bottles of bourbon that I have here in my state and give it right to you, would it taste any different because it's a different environment? I don't know. Plus, bourbon is not meant to be enjoyed like a wine. A wine is like, let's never open it until like this huge, huge, huge gala or huge celebration. And then we'll open it. And drink all of it. Yeah, and bourbon is all about the story. Yes, you want to you want to drink it with friends. I think that bourbon, like in the documentary Meat, is a is a beverage that should be enjoyed with friends and family. That being said, it doesn't drink as fast as wine. Wine can barely taste any burn, although it can get you very, very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. As I know, as I'm well aware, (laughs) but this, just sip it and enjoy it. That in itself takes longer than drinking a glass of wine. So I think that the environment would make it even better. That's my side of the argument. What do you think? Well, clearly, we have 30 bourbons that are open right now. 30 plus. 30 plus. I never would have guessed. Okay. (laughs) Plus what we had before going into September. Yeah. So clearly we've got probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50, 60 that are open right now. I feel so exposed. (laughs) 
so we're not drinking all of them all the time to to wind them down. My gut tells me. Now I've I know the article. Yeah, you know that the the, the My quote gut unquote tells answer. Me that we drink them fast enough to where they probably aren't de- going to degrade. And I don't have any that have been open for more than a year. I've never had any that have opened for more than a year. I'm really? not certain mm. that I could taste a degradation. What do you think, Anna? I think I think degrade is a strong word. I think that an open bottle can change over time. We've talked so many times about the phenomenon, whether it's scientifically real or not, of the neck pour. And once oxygen is introduced into the bottle, how that affects the neck pour, how that affects future pours. So in that sense, there is an alteration due to environmental exposure that comes with opening a bottle. Theoretically, the more times that you're opening a bottle or the little gaps between the cork or the screw top of your bottle with the air as it's just existing in your cabinet, in your bunker, is going to do something to it. I don't like the word degrade. I think Alora brings up an excellent, excellent point that I'd never thought of before, of all of her bottles are coming from her state now. And if she were to mail them to us, would they taste different than our analogs here in Idaho? Because they came from a different state. I don't know, but I don't think that'd be a degradation. I think that would just be the environment is having its aging will. I personally don't think they would taste different. I kind of think they might, Unless, unless. I kind of think they might. Let's say you opened a bottle and it sat on your counter for an hour and then you put the cork in it and then you sent it to me. Okay. I think then there would be a difference. Okay. Because there are natural yeasts in the air that would get Mm -hmm. into that bottle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The state that I am in, or the city that I'm in, is really, 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 really similar, actually. It's just a bit more humid. We've got mountains all around us, although the mountains are taller. I think that it rains more than back at home. Besides that, I don't think that there's much of a difference. But there's However, a- it's hard to live in like a, a state like Florida or Tennessee even, Mm. I think that there would be a much bigger difference. Yeah, but I think that's a really interesting question. All right. All right, I'm interested to hear what the article had to say. Okay, back to your your story of NEAT, or the the documentary Mm -hmm. NEAT. Freddie Johnson, Kentucky Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame inductee and Buffalo Trace tour guide and neat aficionado what have you just one of says, those people i'd love to like give a hug to <laughs> he just yeah. looks like he gives great hugs he said yeah. what you said Alora. bourbon is not like wine it keeps nicely for extended periods of time after opening the secret is putting it away keeping bottles out of direct light mm. keeping them in dark oh, okay. cool areas like wine cellars are best like bread proving. But closets and basements work fine. And he says heat can be an enemy of storing any good bourbon opened or closed. 
Laura, you're really nodding your head there. Yeah. What, what What are your thoughts on that? Just thinking of our incident. Oh, the uh, cabinet. Yeah. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. That's a story for another time. Now, Hannah mentioned uh, the neck pour. We talked about that in our... Uh, last episode. At last episode where we, we spoke of our neck pour infinity bottle. Suddenly, science is there to support conventional wisdom. Whiskey is bottled at no less than 80 proof or 40% ABV. It's done that way to prevent bacteria and other microbes from affecting the bourbon. That'd be a very harsh environment for any bacterium yep. to live in. Bourbon ceases to mature once it's emptied from the barrel. Because there's no more oak touching it. Right. Bottles are purged of air before they're corked or sealed. In other words, they're vacuum sealed. Right. So now that little space above the bourbon, that is pure air. Right there. Okay. From the distillery from the itself. Distil- from the, the bottling dist- From the bottling process. Itself. Now, it's true that cork closures may introduce a tiny amount of air over time, but when they're stored with care, unopened bottles will remain stable for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. But once the seal is cracked, subtle changes may become necessary. I emphasize may. The first pour from the bottle. Commonly referred to the neck pour, Hannah. You said yep, neck pour. Yep, I'm... Neck pours can be the best flavors. They can also be the least amount of flavors. I think as a whole, they're the most inconsistent. <clears throat> or just weird. Or just weird. So you got to be careful not to judge the bottle by the neck pour. That's why our infinity bottle is yep. our neck pour. Yep. But... So many people assume the difference has to do with the exposure to oxygen. But there's a different and more important variable. Volatization means that the delicate, volatile liquid compounds expelled from the spirit while they're still in the bottle are trapped in the headspace, the vapor. So what does that mean in broad strokes here? So if you have an unopened bottle of bourbon, that space that's directly above the bourbon, that that air space is full of volatile compounds. Oh, it's like it's like when you, because I just opened this bottle, okay? Yeah. I just opened this bottle. When it could have been my imagination, but I saw a little bit of, I don't know, like vapor dust coming <laughs> out of it. I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like if you put water into a Brita filter and you see that kind of steam like substance coming out of it. I'm asking, so would it be kind of like the analog to when you'd open up a new liter or bottle of soda where there's that, when you're looking at the bottle, it's fine, but when you open it, you know there's carbonization going on in there because everything fizzes. Well, it's the volatile esters that are actually sitting there. Right. It's just that bourbon isn't going to fizzle like a soda would. So when we open a bottle, many times the moment of opening, we can smell something. Brown sugar emanates from the bottle. Caramel. Or something comes floating out. Those are those esters. The first pour is going to be affected by those esters. If you open the bottle and don't pour it probably tastes just fine. Mm -hmm. But if you open the bottle and pour right away, that top amount of liquid will taste different. 
So here science is, is actually proving that there is such a thing as a neck pore. If you were to take your glass and swirl it and then right. smell it, you are making the volatile esters come forward. Just like you would with wine. Just like you would with wine. You know, yeah. you, you, yep. you swirl it around, you introduce oxygen, you get everything moving at such a pace. So if you pour a glass <clears throat> and then you put the bottle back on the shelf and you don't have it for two months, three months, four months, it won't change. Or if it does change, it'll be so minimal you'll never notice it. Mm. Yet if you pour two glasses, three glasses, five glasses, and you put the bottle back on the shelf when there's only a third of a bottle left, there's going to be a lot more space in there for the volatile esters to disintegrate. Because there would be times when I'd come home, in my undergrad particularly, and I'd had a bourbon, say if it was an Old Forester 1910, one of my favorites. And it might not taste similar to when I had it like a month ago or, or two months ago. There is a change. I have to believe that there is a change. I'm still kind of a picky eater and I'm pretty sensitive to flavors. Because there's a little bit, just a tiny, tiny bit of a difference, I have to believe that the, the environment is affecting it. And of the sort. three of us, you'd be the one to notice it. Yeah. But then yeah. it kind of comes into question, like, how much, I mean, Dad, you mentioned that it'd be so minuscule that it would be very difficult to notice. If the bottle's nearly full. If the bottle's nearly full. But even if it's not, I mean, I mentioned way at the top of the program here tonight, the article that I'd written about having a bourbon in one environment to the next, and if an opinion could change from one pour to the next depending on the environment and my whole thesis on that is that the people you're with the situation that you're in the good times that you're having is so related to that first initial pour but now it seems that it's at least theoretically scientifically possible that it could also be the actual physical meteorological <laughs> environment that this bottle is into from one pour yeah. to the next. That's interesting. Yeah. Now it is kind of like, you know, the larceny. You know, I talk, I think in the last season I mentioned all the time, like larceny, the first time I actually really enjoyed it was in Wisconsin when we were visiting with family. Mm. And I think that there were a couple of times when I came home and had larceny and I was like, this is just not the same. We were with people that we loved. I think that that definitely has a bearing on how you enjoy just flavors in general. You know, food is food and drink is meant to be shared. It's going to make a difference if you're with a crowd of people or trying something like our uncle Hannah's and my uncle made a bread that had sausage and cheese in it. Oh, and <laughs> I remember. I think, that, I think about that bread a lot because it was that good. But it was also the reason why it was that good is because we were sharing it like with everyone else. I definitely think your emotional environment and your physical environment definitely have a bearing on how you taste food and drink. I, I want to see a study done on the impact of each. 
But you know, that's just me and my that's me and my science brain. I know that. I know that. You can do that on your own (laughs) with your own bourbon because I'm not going to sacrifice a bottle of bourbon for for you to pour some of it out. Let's not pretend that there aren't a whole bunch in our bunker now bought with my paychecks. Okay, let's just let's not pretend. Well, it's it's also said if you have one of these less than a third full bottles, it's been sitting for a year and it's been sitting out in some sunshine or exposed to fluorescent lighting. The ultraviolet light will kill the bourbon. I'm totally convinced you, you have to take care of your bourbon. Bottom line, if you're truly concerned about the diminishing quality of bourbons, use your open bourbons when they get near empty for mixed drinks. And there you open, go. New, open new bottles for neat pours. I mean, there's a simple solution right there. Yeah. But if it's a bourbon you particularly enjoy, drink it up. Don't let it sit around. And I think you drink it up with people that you care about. There you go. You, you, you bring, the, bring the clan in. Bring everybody you love in. Yeah. Have a good night. Enjoy a good pour. And to close this article, as Freddie Johnson likes to remind people, a good bottle of bourbon or a good spirit is meant to be shared with family and friends and loved ones. Mm-hmm. Those bottles were created to provide opportunities to make memories. People may not remember what was poured, but they will always remember it was shared. Very true. Amen. Very, very true. So, folks, that's our show. This one, uh, very interesting. I know we got probably a little bit longer than our usual shows in this one, but it is a slow pour. That's the theme of the slow pour. Or my friends, we we are we 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 are meant to be sitting down, enjoying a pour with you guys, and being particularly contemplative. I know we had a lot of themes that we brought up, a lot of questions that we posed. We circled around. That's the point of a slow pour. I I really hope you enjoyed this one. Yep. This one. We would love to hear from you. On, on any this. of these topics. Yes, this yeah. one is an interesting one for us. There's so many things to to add in an opinion about. Do you? I think that last article that Dad shared was really, really interesting about an open bottle and what the environment does. I want to know your thoughts. I asked Dad and Alora's thoughts immediately because that is such an interesting question to me as a scientist, as a bourbon drinker, as a whiskey drinker as a whole. Biases going in, the confirmation bias. We talked about so much today, and I, I really want to know everything that you guys are thinking about here. That would be really, really cool. It'd yeah, be so cool. I, I, let's keep that conversation going. Yes. Because I think that I would actually really love for someone to say it would degrade the bourbon. I want to hear the reasoning behind that. I want to hear all opinions on this, but I particularly want to hear why a why the environment would degrade because I don't understand a lot of sciencey stuff. That's not my gig. Offer your thoughts. Offer your opinions as to why, and who knows that might pertain to just food in general or drink or whatever. That, that's a really, really cool topic. Absolutely. I agree, Laura. Coming up, 
we don't have specifics for everybody yet, but we are working on an interview. Um, emails have gone out to a couple different mm -hmm. folks and uh, waiting for uh, confirmation of dates. Uh, we are going to do a spotlight on proof again and mm -hmm. a spotlight on a distillery. I loved that series last yep. season. That was so much yeah. fun. We got so into the nitty gritty with, yep. with facts and details, but we got to have so many different tastes going on on front of us. It was fun. We will do another educational history episode. And uh, again, we'll do our listener pick. Uh, throw that out there as we get a little closer. So folks, this has been a fun one for us. It was interesting with the girls getting their opinions on this. I uh, am glad September is over. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to September 2024, everyone. Yes. I, I have a little sidebar to that September being over. I told myself I was going to take a break. October 1st, I didn't have anything. I didn't drink anything. And then on October 2nd? That's my birthday. That's his birthday. Yeah. He needs to have bourbon. So he had birthday. scotch. <laughs> okay, that's great. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to your dad. So I didn't have anything until last night, the 8th, and I poured myself another scotch. October, nice. Until tonight, I've been scotch monthing it. But uh, tonight I'm doing... Uh, my bookers and I'm doing Ronnie's batch and boy this is sure good stuff so everybody <laughs> we like to end our shows with a cheer once again thank you everybody for listening in and we look forward to doing this again in a couple weeks good night everybody cheers cheers, cheers.